What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. The only way that we can live is if we grow. The only way that we grow is if we change. The only way we change is if we learn. The only way we can learn is if we are exposed. And the only way that we can become exposed is if we throw ourselves out into the open. Do it. Throw yourself. When poet C. Joy Bell C. wrote that, she probably wasn't thinking of podcast hosts throwing themselves under blankets to record, like I'm doing now because of studio closings. But hey, you never know. We aren't going to focus on the pandemic today, but I did want to take a moment to acknowledge that however you are dealing with it all is okay. As I shared on Instagram the other day, apocalypse, a word we are hearing a lot lately, is a Greek word that literally means an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known or to uncover. Many challenges and hardships are being revealed and magnified, along with many beautiful, meaningful things. It's okay if you're more focused on one over the other right now, or if you're bouncing between the two, however you are feeling is valid. I hope you're finding pleasure, staying safe, and seeking any support you may need in this unprecedented time. I recently asked listeners through my website, what are you craving? It seems many of you have been craving stories, something to think about besides the coronavirus. I'm right there with you. We can stay aware, which is so important, and take care of our minds and our hearts at the same time, which is just as important. I may be a little biased, but I really believe that little helps the latter the way stories do. I've also been thinking about challenges creatives are facing right now and ways we as a community can help out. All of that inspired this episode. Several authors, a narrator, a stylist, and a game creator who've had events or other promotional opportunities canceled because of the pandemic stepped up to share a memorable sex sex ed, or dating story for you all. If you enjoy their stories, please consider supporting them by purchasing a book, service, or other offering. You can find links to them all at girlboner.org forward slash blog, or by clicking the link down in the show notes. The first story comes from Heidi Master Giovanni, a comedic author and co-host of Movies Not Movies, a podcast she co-hosts with James Napoli about the best movies from around the world that don't exist, and the people who don't exist that made them. It's probably the most unique podcast I've ever heard. And as you're about to experience, Heidi is a joy to listen to. I love erotica as much as the next person, probably more. And I love sexy, dirty talk. Of course I do. I'm a writer. I'm a reader. I love words. I love words as much as I love sex. So I'm going back decades now to a moment involving sex and words. I had recently moved to fabulous New York City right after college, and I had joined a theater company. It was a wonderful group of people. I'm still very close friends with several of them. 
so I'm young and it's New York and sex is pretty much constantly on my mind. And there is this very handsome guy in the company and I am very attracted to him and I have a major crush on him. So we flirt at rehearsals and every other chance I get. And then one night after a cast party, we go back to my tiny apartment with the bathtub in the kitchen and we make out and he is a fabulous kisser and I am out of my mind with lust for him. And we go on a few dates and then we're back at my place again one night and we're in bed and we're naked and I'm on top of him and it is very, 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 very hot. And I'm about to say something like, yeah, baby, bang me into next week because I always like to go for the comedy. And he says, I don't want to come until you do. And I think, well, there's not a lot of subtext with that dialogue, but okay, let's just see where it goes. So I moan and smile at him, you know, as a wordless encouraging, "Uh uh-huh, tell me more, big guy. And one second later, he adds, so you'll let me know when you're about to come? I I don't know. Maybe I'm too judgmental. Maybe I expected more from someone who was a world-class kisser. But I just thought, yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling like getting off this sex train at the next stop. So let's make it an express rather than a local, shall we? So I amp up the volume and ride him into the wind, and I yell, I'm coming! And as I had hoped and predicted, he then felt free to come, and then I climbed off him, put on my robe, thanked him for a lovely evening, and told him I had to get up early, so it would probably be best if he headed on home. P.S. I had not come. I had faked it. Because, if I may be allowed to quote the Bee Gees, and with great thanks to August McLaughlin, it's only words, and words are all you have to take my girl boner away. I am with you, Heidi. Words are so important and they can completely make or break your girl boner or any type of boner you might have. Well, not literally break it, but you know what I mean. I do give Mr. Express Train props for at least wanting Heidi's pleasure. Our next story comes from Dennis Hensley, co-creator of the party game, You Don't Know My Life. He's also the author of two novels, Misadventures in the 213 and Screening Party. He also currently writes for the Wondery podcast, Imagined Life. Okay, so I'm on a flight from New Orleans back to Los Angeles where I live. And I remember going to the restroom and passing this really handsome guy sitting on the aisle, tall, dark, and handsome, like a real dreamboat. And then at baggage claim, we start talking with each other and... He asked me out and we're going to have a date. So I remember we went to this movie, Jeffrey, this gay comedy in the mid nineties. And then we went back to his place and he wants to fool around. But at the time I was younger and nervous about sex and kind of uptight. And just, I wasn't ready to do that. Uh, And I told him so. And then he goes, well, then do you mind if I just jack off? And I guess I said, no, I don't mind. Go ahead. (laughs) Like, I didn't know what to say. But he did. So I just sat there on his sofa or on a chair. And I think he was on the couch and he just laid down and did his thing while I sat there. And then it was like, all right, thanks for a fun night. Thanks for the movie. (laughs) Um, And I did not see him again. And I don't feel like I was really violated or anything bad, but I certainly, it was certainly wasn't a good thing that happened. I wasn't excited that it happened. Um, but yeah, that was a very surreal thing. It was one of those one of those lessons and be careful what you wish for when you're walking up the aisle of a plane because he may ask you out and then just jack off in front of you. Did you completely feel that story too? 
I can imagine being in that situation, especially early on in my dating life, feeling uncomfortable and then saying sure to something you're not sure you want to have happen. Maybe feeling like you need to be polite or grateful that at least it wasn't the thing you really didn't want to happen. I think it's very cool that Dennis voiced how he felt and that the guy at least asked before going at it on himself. I'm guessing he may have picked up a vibe that a masturbation display wasn't necessarily something Dennis was excited about though, so hmm, maybe wait until your date leaves. Speaking of stories, the game Dennis co-created with Jeb Havens, You Don't Know My Life, is a blast. You might recall that we played it here on the show back in December. It's been called What Happens After Cards Against Humanity and Your Diary Got Drunk and Had a Baby. It celebrates the quirky things we all have in common, including some really fun topics about sex and dating. The questions are fun to talk about over FaceTime, too, with friends while you're social distancing. Dennis and Jeb just started hosting virtual game nights where you get your friends together and they take care of all the rest. I highly recommend it. Next up, we have thoughts from Rain Parvis, an author, media personality, and certified personal stylist and style coach in Los Angeles who helps people look and feel amazing from the inside out. In my 20s and early 30s, I dated anyone I was remotely attracted to. If you viewed them like a police sign-up, they would all be vastly different. Men, women, overweight, skinny, bald, tattoos, clean-cut, rich, poor, middle-class, white, black, Latin, to their different careers of directors, actors, professional speakers, bass players, lawyers, caterers, and of course, bartenders. My takeaway from all those experiences was that you can enjoy the relationships for what they are and what they're not. Now being happily married, I know I chose the right one for me. When times get rocky, I remember how many others I could be fighting with. I'm so grateful I chose the man I chose to marry. My point, for me, sowing a whole lot of votes before settling down was definitely the right path. I'm so happy for you, Rain. I've met her husband and they are such an awesome couple. I love what she said about loving relationships for what they are, enjoying them. We can appreciate the fun, the exploration, what we learn from them, the good parts, the challenges, how we grow through them, or even in spite of them. Self-worth and acceptance come up a lot in Rain's work as a stylist. Her book, Ultimate Guide to Style, From Drab to Fab, gives you the tools you need to dress for your career, your age, your lifestyle, your unique hair and skin color and eye color and more. She's currently offering an online analysis special that includes a whole bunch of cool stuff like a discussion of your style concerns and a digital color palette of your wow colors. Our next story comes from Christopher Hoffman, author of Heart in Gear, an engineer's erotic journey to freedom. It'd been a while, so I put Tinder back on my phone. So I was swiping through all these faces, the women who want to go golfing and play tennis and wine tasting and getting kind of sad. And I eventually ran across an image that was, whoa. So I like, heck yes on that and just kept on going. But a couple of minutes later, we matched. And I'm like, either she's a sex worker or it's my lucky day. So I go back and read her profile. And all it says is, I like to have sex, dot, 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 space, if I feel like it, period. Your job, dot, 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 space, is to make me feel like it, 
period. Smiley face, heart, heart. So I'm like, what do you say to that? So I came up with, I'll bet you like to wrestle. And right away she answers and says, strong arm, strong arm, pow, 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 heart, smiley face. And I'm like, that's awesome. And then she asked me a question. She says, may I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And she comes back with, well, if we wrestle, how do we know who won? I'm like, so how do you answer that? So I came up with, well, if we both had strap-ons on, it would be the one who ends up doing the fucking. I'll be honest, it took me a minute to fully grasp that punchline. If you're a top or dominant having a kinky conversation, which it seems like was happening here, doing the fucking must mean you have the person pinned down, thus you won the wrestling match. If you're into BDSM and wrestling, you probably picked up on that a lot faster. It also struck me as I listened that the woman could have been a sex worker and it was his lucky day. In any case, it sounds like they were both having fun, which is awesome. The description of Christopher's book, Heart and Gear, calls it a visceral descent into his psyche as he claws his way through his startup adventures as founder of Rhino Motors. Readers can bear witness to his trials of the heart as he embarks on a journey to use his erotic explorations as his most liberating act of rebellion. Speaking of kink, I love this next story submitted by Yael R. Rosenstock-Gonzalez, a queer, polyamorous, New Yorican, Jewish author, speaker, and sex coach, and founder of Kaleidoscope Vibrations, LLC. Her new book, Guia Introductria a Una Sexualidad Positiva, is the Spanish version of An Intro Guide to a Sex Positive You, Lessons, Tales, and Tips, released in 2018. I don't know how young I was when I first realized I was fairly kinky, but it it was fairly young. But I do remember knowing or feeling like there was something to be ashamed of. The fact that I was on the submissive side and a feminist didn't feel like it fit together. And one day I was having lunch with a friend of mine and a friend of his, and she said, don't you think that it's anti-feminist to be submissive. And that moment, my debating mind turned on and I said, well, I think what's anti-feminist is to tell a woman what she can and cannot do or what she can and cannot enjoy in bed. And that to me really is what would be oppressive. And being able to say that to someone, when I wasn't able to say that to myself, but in defense of someone I did not know because we were talking theoretically, made it much easier for me to start the journey of ex- the journey of accepting myself and seeing myself as someone who could be both and. And that was really helpful for me. Yes, yes, yes. I could not agree with you more, Yael. It is for sure anti-feminist to tell a woman what she can or can't do or enjoy in bed or to judge her for those things. Yael's book, uses personal narratives by her and guest writers to explore three themes, getting to know the self, setting and respecting boundaries, and knowledge slash sexploration. It's designed to be unapologetic, validating, empowering, inclusive, and to feel like you're talking with a good friend. The next story came from my friend and colleague, Velda Brotherton. 
Valda and I became band authors together a few years ago when a writer's conference was nearly canceled because she and I were slated to speak. I was supposed to talk about cultivating self-confidence, and Velda was supposed to teach a workshop on writing effective sex scenes, something many authors really grapple with. The university wasn't keen on my work in sexuality or Velda's workshop content at all, and told the organizers that either they had to kick us out or switch locations weeks before the event. One of the organizers, Casey Cowan, immediately stood by us and moved the entire conference. Many cheers for boner supporters like that. Valda wrote her first romance novel in her 50s, which was over 30 years ago. Today, she is as fun and feisty as ever. As you'll note in this story about a sexy experience with Tom Selleck, or at least his image. It's 1993, and an editor of Penguin has requested I change my book to a romance. I've never read a romance. That might be fun. Trouble was, I had no idea where to begin. I was a 50-year-old married woman. I should have a clue. My daughter came to my rescue with suggestions that I followed through the letter. Slipping into a negligee, I dimmed the lights, lit a candle, and placed it on my desk. Reading a poster of Tom Selleck, full lips curled by a dimple grin, Hawaiian shirt open to reveal a bare chest. Something curled inside my belly. This was definitely working. The flickering candlelight licked his scrumptious body. My fingers danced over the keys. Paper flew from the printer. I wiggled and squirmed. Hit some wrong keys. I'm really getting hot. Oh, no. I'll set fire to my draft. It took a while to stomp out the flames and cool off my excitement. The romance sold. It was my first published book. So I guess it was worth nearly burning down my house. Not to mention sex interrupt us with a gorgeous man. The end. <laughs> that was such a great example of something I really believe, that writing sexy stories can be extremely sultry. We don't have to be naked and tangled with another person or holding a sex toy to experience steamy, sensual sex. Just do keep a fire extinguisher nearby if there is a fire hazard involved. Velda's latest book, Immortal Hero, a sequel to 2014's Beyond the Moon, releases this month. She told me that writing for 35 years has not dulled the pleasure or excitement of sitting down to pen each new book. Sometimes there are other hazards around sex and dating, like wonky societal messaging that folks take advantage of, whether knowingly or not. In those cases, positive role models can go so far. Take it from Melanie Hooks, who submitted the next story. Melanie reviews theater, writes screenplays, narrates audiobooks, and produces and appears on the podcast Classic Movie Recall. She told me she can deal with sex scenes she helps craft, quite frankly, thanks to, well, this. Now in their 70s, my parents remain remarkably attractive and charismatic folks. 
and in their youths, these qualities put dad at a distinct advantage and mom at just as distinct a disadvantage, also being raised strictly Southern Baptist and purposely ignorant of all the motives men would be approaching her with. After they got together and decided to marry, they swapped all these life notes, and dad, who started as a James Dean wannabe on a motorcycle and ended up as an army helicopter pilot, thanks to the Vietnam draft, decided nobody was going to get anything over on his girls. On our shelves from my earliest memories of childhood were books like The Joy of Sex, Illustrated. We were welcome to them anytime. We were welcome to ask questions, especially of mom. It seemed a little less embarrassing. But my dad wasn't going to be left out. Our friends loved coming over to our house for dinner because around the hooks table, you were liable to hear the kind of dirty jokes you could throw back at junior high boys to shock them. This sort of became a problem when narcolepsy started. Dad almost always had a giggle-induced attack where he'd have a cataplectic fit. He'd shake and then go limp and fall. You might think that this would scare friends away, but teenage girls are tenacious. Erin Barden, notably a frequent guest, she would push him. Hey, Captain Hooks, you gotta get to the punchline before your face hits the peas. News of Daddy's illness, though, did make my only high school boyfriend, let's call him Steve, braver. Once my father had terrified him as a stoic Texan military man. Now Steve started pestering me more and more to go past lines I'd already set and intended to maintain. I wasn't too worried because I already had a comeback waiting for it all. But baby, I'll get blue balls. Well, Dad says there isn't any such thing, and I should squeeze him real hard to show you. If you loved me as much as I love you, you'd do this for me. If you loved me as much as you say you do, you come ask my dad for permission. If you really loved me, you'd never hang out with your friends instead of me. Sorry, I already know your right hand will do you just fine for what you want. And so it went until prom night arrived. Every potential date rapist wet dream, and Steve was determined. He'd secured a private trailer, his sister's double-wide for our romantic after-party. He had a trunk full of stolen beer. He had co-conspirators, a couple, friends of ours, who he'd told we were already having sex like they were, so they should try and help him get me alone for romance, away from my other friends. He had it all set up. And I could see something was different. He talked more about it. He wasn't taking no half so easily. He was locking himself into my car and not leaving when I tried to drop him off after homework sessions. Punched a hole in his parents' hallway when I wouldn't leave a friend's birthday party to come be with him instead. I was still just 16, fairly underdeveloped except for sass, and not at all sure how I was going to handle things. When you're that young, you really don't know, no matter how great your family or role models are, exactly what's normal or isn't. When it is that you're supposed to break up with a person who says, he loves you so much he wants to marry you. I was starting to believe that Steve was right. He was doing everything right, and I was cruel and unloving and unnatural. When he came to pick me up that night in the rented Lincoln, and Mom cooed over my handmade dress she'd sewed, and the puffiest hair she could style out of my tomboy cut, I felt like I was walking to the gallows. Dad wasn't in good health. He'd had a long week. he just retired from active duty and hated his new life in the civil service, stuck in Illinois, far from his real home, as we girls finished high school and his mysterious disease had no known cure or treatment, not in 1989. He thought he would be a permanent puddle forever now. 
but something in him saw me that night, the way none of my girlfriends did, the way my mom was too proud to catch on to, the way my sister was too young to understand. Steve and I had our pictures done in the living room, and he had already whisked me out the door after the briefest wave to my dad, who rested in his chair. We'd made it out the door down the long, terrifying walk to the stretched sedan, when suddenly, from behind us, a mighty voice boomed, loud enough for every neighbor to hear. Remember, honey, a hard cock has no conscience. Steve's face, and probably other parts of his anatomy, fell into the pavement. He turned a color of red that no white Midwestern kid has ever worn outside of ill-timed beach vacation without sunscreen. He raced around the other side of the car, not even opening my door in his panicked runaway. But I, I turned around and blew Captain John Charles Hooks the biggest kiss I probably ever had or will do again. Three years and in young adulthood half a lifetime later, when I was good and ready and on my own terms, I enjoyed the pleasure and joy a real partner who did respect me could give. And that, is all I can ask for any of us, regardless of background or age or education. Thank you, Dad. James Dean was never cooler. So many cheers to pleasure on our own terms when we feel ready. I so look forward to the day when anyone who's turned down for sex responds with gratitude, you know? Thanks for your honesty and for respecting your own needs and boundaries, that kind of thing. I do think we're getting there. I love that Melanie's dad provided just what she needed in that moment. I also love any excuse to talk about blue balls. So for the record, blue balls can happen. And Melanie's dad, aka James Dean, was right in a very important way. They are not a medical condition that a partner should feel pressured into relieving. They also don't just happen to folks with a penis. Just as blood flow to the penis during arousal that gets pulled up and lingers too long can create painful pressure in the testicles, the same thing can happen in the clitoris. These unrequited boners, or blue clits, as Betty Dodson has called them, can really feel uncomfortable. Regardless of your genitalia, there is an answer to that. If a partner is not inclined, it's called masturbation. Next, we have a story from Mercy Hollow, who penned a novel Melanie narrated for the audiobook version, Scythe, Legions of the Claimed, Book One. By day, Mercy is a freelance editor and author coach. At night, she said, she straps on her writing cape, black, of course, and pens dark fantasy stories of unsung antiheroes, underdogs, and women that rise from the shadows to shine and kick ass. Date. Bad dates. I've had quite a few, but one in particular stands out. A while ago, I not really set up, but a friend of mine asked me to come to her office and made sure I talked with a guy that was in the cubicle next to hers. She had been saying how nice he was and how cool he was and how she thought the two of us would hit it off. She'd been working with him for about six months and had nothing but good things to say. So when I came and met him, we did. We got along. He was nice. He was very friendly, but not too friendly. He was fun. We had a lot in common. And so when he asked me if I would go out with him the next night, go out to dinner, I said, sure. 
So we went out and we had a great time. I mean, he was funny. He was interesting, smart. There was no red flags, not a one. And I am an expert at finding red flags. I actually have a background in forensic psych and clinical psych. So it was actually part of my job and training, but he didn't raise any. So we went on the date. We had a great time. We went out to dinner. We hung out and it was still kind of early. It was only like nine and we weren't ready for the evening to end. So he asked, Hey, would you be interested in coming back to my apartment? We could watch a movie, you know, just hang out on the couch. No, nothing else. Just hang out and watch a movie. I just, I'm not ready for the night to end. And I'd really like to do that and get to spend some more time with you. So I said, sure. Okay. But you know, just on the couch doesn't go any further than that. So I thought that would be the issue because that's usually the issue. So we go back to his place still again, just a gentleman, really nice, funny, interesting, and it's all good until he opens the door to his apartment. We walk in and he has really nice living room, clean, nice, well-decorated, very sophisticated for a guy his age, really nice, big screen TV, nice couch, all of this, and sitting above the big screen television is a full life-size Chucky doll staring down at us. So when we set up the couch to watch the movie, Chucky looms above us. I like a lot of scary things, but I sit down and I literally, I'm there for maybe five seconds and I can't take it. And I'm like, that's it. I can't, I can't. I get up. I'm like, I can't do it. I just can't. There's Chucky. There is Chucky. And he's like, what? It's fine. It's no, it's no problem. It's cool. It's a collectible. I'm like, you have a giant Chucky doll moving above your television set, staring at you, ready to jump at you with a machete. And he was like, yeah, it's cool. It's no problem. Like, no, I can't. I just can't. This is no problem for you. Then, uh, then we can't do this. I said, it was really nice to meet you, but I have to go. So I'm about to go and he's like, come on. He's like, I have some really great movies. And he lifts up a thing and he has literally every slasher film known to man in his special collections of DVDs. And I was like, okay, there is like 40 red flags and one giant, giant one with orange hair. I'm out of here. And out the door I went. I will never look at a Chucky doll the same way again. Not that they gave me warm, fuzzy feelings before, but just, wow. That story made me cringe and laugh equally. It's so good to have standards and to find the nearest exit when something feels really, really off. I think what gave me the creeps the most about that was that this guy didn't alert her. Like, hey, just so you know, I'm really into slasher movies and Chucky, and I have a giant one in my place you're about to see before springing them on her. The same way you'd want to let someone know you're into BDSM before bringing them to your dungeon. Here's a bit about Mercy's latest book, Sky, the Legions of the Claimed, book one. In Chicago's underworld, the daughters of the claimed leaders resist their father's rule and find love, or at least some welcome sexual release, in a modern-day Game of Thrones-style dark fantasy of strategy and destiny. Mercy said it's all about women finding their voices and claiming their power in a male-dominated world and finding time for super sexy boot-knocking along the way. I love the sound of that. 
So what if your relationship story, your journey with a particular partner is about a year in and things aren't feeling quite as smooth or right as they first did? We're going to finish today with a listener question about just that from someone we'll call PJ who wrote this. Hi there. I'm wondering if there's a way to salvage a relationship with my boyfriend of almost a year. I feel pretty consistently disappointed that he doesn't do the things he told me he would do for his mental health or toward the effort in our relationship. I'm clear on asking for what I want with attention, spending time together, him possibly being more romantic. He says he wants time to focus on himself and growing as a person. It's also his last semester of school and kind of he's worried about his future. We have both said at different points in the relationship we aren't happy with the way things are going. I'm trying to be understanding, but I'm just sad every day, feeling disappointed with him. I miss the fun. Is there a way to get back to being in love and being happy together? Thank you for this question, PJ. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. PJ, I'm glad that you've asked this question and that you're, you know, allowing yourself to consider the potential ending of a relationship because, you know, when you're feeling sad almost every day and disappointed in your partner, um, understandably, that's not much fun. And so I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, you've been together about a year. So for many couples, that's still in the limerence or sort of the romantic phase of a relationship, which can be sort of everywhere from sort of six months to two years. Um, so I'd be curious sort of what brought you two together in the beginning and what was that initial attraction? Um, because we don't have attraction with everybody. And so I'm curious what drew you to one another, but also And then when did the frustrations or disappointments happen? Because I think for all of us, it's learning the relationship skills. It's not that there won't be ever, you know, disappointments or frustrations or even some loss, but that we have the tools to talk about those things so that we know, um, again, through our partner's love languages, we know how to share appreciation and um, nurture. You know, I always say the water isn't, the grass isn't greener on the other side, right? It's where we water it. And so I think if you both choose to, because it really is, love is a choice and a commitment, um, it's to focus on, again, what brought you toward each other in the beginning, I sort of say it's our best of self. And that unfortunately sounds like right now, you're where many couples get to, which is showing up with the protective, um, uh, you know, sort of the less than ideal or pretty parts of ourselves. And so um, self at worst versus self at best. So the thing is, if you're both interested, two great books I would recommend. One is um, Getting the Love You Want, by Harville Hendricks, and the others Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson. I think both books give a really good um, description about common areas that couples, um, we sort of call them core scenes, the, the fights that don't seem to be solved, and really gives you some important skills and tools. I think that's really the biggest takeaway here is that uh, relationships are work. Um, and work's not a dirty word, I sort of say, any more than sex is. Um, but that we do, the things that we, when we put our time and energy into it, the relationship skills work. The reality is that sustainability, um, because that's what I have couples doing all the time, that they get back to connection more quickly, that the fights or, disagree- fights or disagreements are less frequent, and again, quicker time back to connection. So I hope for you and your partner that you guys do the work and 
certainly see whether there's enough here worth salvaging. Uh, but that when and if you don't want to have the regret, I always say you want to do 100% of your 50%. So that when and if it doesn't go um, and if the relationship ends, that you don't have any regrets if only you would have, could have, should have. You know, you're committed to doing your 100%. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I loved your points about love being a commitment and a choice and asking yourselves questions like when the challenges began. I also agree that a year isn't as long as it may feel right now. You might still be getting to know who you are in this relationship and those initial, you know, punch drunk falling in love feelings, when they settle down a little bit, you get to really see who you are together. Um, So really pay attention to that. I really think more honest, vulnerable conversations will help too. It sounds like you've had some, so huge kudos for that. Keep it up. And if you're both really struggling with uncertainty, I wonder if it might be worth considering a, a short break from the relationship, not to see other people, unless that's what you both want, which could then be your answer, but to give yourselves some time and space to feel and think things through, to feel what your life feels like when you're you know, apart, um, just to see if, if there are things that you miss. I believe most of the answers about these types of things lie within us. So whatever you can do to give yourself that deep connection with, with yourself, go for it. Free writing in a journal when I first wake up has been hugely helpful for me during times when I feel stuck. We are cheering for you so much, PJ. And if you awesome listener would like to submit a story of your own about an upcoming topic or have a question you'd like some support around, please head to girlboner.org and click contact. And please do check out my blog or click the link down in the show notes to support today's wonderful contributors. If you purchase one of their products or services and send me a screenshot of your purchase confirmation by April 29th, I will send you some fun Girl Boner swag. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.